and welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Zachary Allard. And I'm Michael Tabor. And Michael, we have a very special guest this week. Who do we have with us? Uh, we have Grim joining us from the internet. Yeah, Grim is big on Twitter. Grim, welcome. Uh, welcome. I am big on Twitter. I like that That's designation. <laughs> you, can, uh, you can use that as your bio next time. <laughs> Grim, we wanted to have you on for a bunch of reasons. You're sort of like known on Twitter for doing like real in-depth takedowns of how awful the world is. That's definitely how we came to know and love your Twitter feed, which mm-hmm. throws me into paroxysms of sadness, depression, but sometimes also knowledge and clarity. Uh, Grim has personally driven me to drink on many occasions. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> uh, no, but I did lose my mind. Uh, what was the uh, that libertarian from North Carolina who uh, wrote a whole book about how he started from nothing and built his way back up? Uh, yeah, Scrap like Beginnings a, or whatever, his book. Yes. Oh, man. That one was just my poor wife was, was just <laughs> me like reading your 200 tweet thread on it and just going out into the living room to like yell some new horror that i had encountered uh via you so at the very least uh you have passed on a lot of good rage which is really the energy we like to bring to shitty christians that's good (laughs) and today we are going to be bringing some more rage and i'm excited to get angry anew you know every day is another chance to step into the river of rage Mm -hmm. grim what are we talking about uh well we're talking about global supply chains special economic zones and uh corporate um uh, corporate accountability. Fuck yeah, let's go. I'm so excited. This this is like in Tenet when fuck Tenet. We're not talking about Tenet. <laughs> no, we have to talk backwards for at least the next two minutes of this podcast. <laughs> they actually do care about special economic zones on Tenet, but we are not going to be talking about Tenet on this podcast. <laughs> kind of sounds like you want to talk about Tenet I know, on this damn. podcast. Only about how much it sucks. I haven't so, seen it yet, which means I've already seen it. That's True. right. That's, that's right, because you've seen it in the future. The timelines. That's right. Uh, so... I'm curious. Like, I find this stuff fascinating. But Grim, let's start here. Why should we care about supply chains and special economic zones? Uh, well, every single thing we buy has an extremely complicated supply chain that's designed both to maximize dollars and create obscurity between what's produced and the producer. Mm-hmm. So everything we own, every hanger, uh, every uh, piece of clothes. Um, I may be recording this in my closet. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> everything you own, um, is, is coming from some kind of supply chain more than likely. Uh, and they rule the world. It is the majority of dollars, uh, for global trade. So it, it's a pretty important thing, but it's also wildly boring and very depressing. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I think that's why we wanted to get into it is because it is actually so important and it is intentionally, I think, made to be so boring and obtuse uh, because nobody, they they don't want you paying attention. Is this basically The Wire Season 2 where (laughs) a bunch of dead people show up in a container and then we have to figure out what that means for the city of Baltimore? That, uh, honestly, uh, there's like, now I have a specific case in mind that I worked on that was almost that exact same thing. Where we had to find out about dead people in a container, yes. God. (laughs) Okay. Let's get into it. Let's go. (laughs) So um, there's a variety of social justice orgs that uh, a lot of them are Christian, uh, specifically Catholic. And it's run by uh, 
they're all run basically and they use each other's retirement accounts for the entire catholic church as a, a way to back their proxies uh, or proxy resolutions for, uh, it's like a stock resolution basically it's you file it and then everyone who has every investor who has a certain amount of stock gets to vote on it right and mm -hmm. the okay. way this kind of corporate accountability works is uh, they know you're never going to get to 50 plus 1%, right? So that's already like an impossible dream. It's never been done for any kind of social justice org. Uh, what your real goal is, is to hit some number that they have that you don't know, where if you hit that number and say, I have X percent, you know, it could be 5%, it could be 10%, it could be 2%. But I have this many percent of owners, they freak out and give you what you want anyway, right? Oh, interesting. Huh. Because what they're scared of is that you're going to lower their stock price because if the resolution has to be said in public out loud, they basically risk the appearance that they don't have control of their investors. And while uh, the um, they have the capability to ignore it, if it's not a majority, it will lower their stock price, which lowers their ownership in the company and its value. So just to be clear, you're saying that in this instance, Christians are doing good things yes. with money. <laughs> Although if it makes you feel better, it's almost exclusively women. You know, that does make a lot more sense. <laughs> it's usually not. Sure. So, so the Catholic Church obviously hates this, <laughs> sanctioning it, trying to destroy it as we speak. Yes. I'm joking uh, around. Ben that is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, Benedict specifically supposedly hated this stuff. I don't have an original source myself, but um, the prior uh, pope uh, before Francis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the 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 Pope Pedophilus, I think, is his term now. Like that's that's emeritus. His, I I said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I personally would just focus on the fact that he was a literal Hitler youth, but hey, that's me. There's there's so many crimes. <laughs> that's the thing. How, how can you choose? A roulette wheel, wheel of terribleness at I'm sorry, every turn. But we are, we are getting off topic. Continue. <laughs> so um, you're basically trying to scare some large organization into doing giving you a discovery on something or mm. trying to scare them into uh, ending a practice. Even if you know their practice is going to resume in a couple of years, the idea is you want them to have to try and hide it from you again and spend time reallocating their supply chain. Um, because at the very least you bought some people a couple of years kind of thing, right? Um, you will always fail. It's just the, the, you can fail in ways that help people a little bit. That's the kind of work it is. I, yeah, that is the most honest understanding of our modern era. <laughs> I, uh, Grim was there when Bernie was running, being like, we'll all fail. We always fail. <laughs> There's a reason his name is Grim and not Hope. <laughs> yes. And, um... So I, uh, these, these organizations are, are, uh, decently sized. Um, I don't want to identify any specific one because then they, they get attached to me and I am, uh, you know, uh, my public face is definitely not <laughs> good for them. Only us idiots associated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, they do good work. And what's amazing is how complicated the machinations of all this are. Um, so are you guys familiar with the special economic zones? only from tenants no. <laughs> <laughs> so the basic concept is um it's kind of a broad category and it includes everything from like hong kong on the like most positive mm -hmm. end question mark depending on how you want to view it yeah to sure. just straight up slavery right 
Um, and the idea oh, okay. is what? I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is uh, you have some amount of hectares on hand and uh, you want foreign investors to invest heavily in it. And you basically say, hey, foreign investors and global capital, you get to run this bit of land in our country and our labor laws and most of our employment laws slash all of our employment laws do not apply to anything done in these hectares. Right. Oh, good. That seems bad it is bad um uh america uh or should say american companies do it chinese companies do it russian companies do it basically any large conglomeration of power and capital in the, in the country has done it to some degree right it's um, really stretching the definition of the word special there <laughs> yes <laughs> and what's notable is um the harsher ones are just straight up a different country um where like no minimum wage laws no time off um some of them do the straight up like you get scrip you owe a debt every day to your company and you oh my gosh this is like the fruit company it's like a united fruit company or whatever it was that is exactly uh what's happening there in fact a walmart in mexico and people like you know mexico's uh developing pretty rapidly but walmart in mexico just like Mm -hmm. i want to say nine years ago tried to start paying their employees in scrip no way. Yep, they were Are you trying. Kidding? They were trying to do a, a a payment option where Walmart gives you like an extra. I think it was like twenty dollars a paycheck, but you get a Walmart gift card. Um. Well, speaking of uh, <laughs> being driven to drink again, <laughs> <laughs> and that was not a special economic zone for the record. That was just normal <laughs> That's Walmart. Just Walmart, baby. Yeah. Every super center is a special economic zone. <laughs> so. Uh, the special economic zones, uh, it's exactly as rife with abuse as you would think. A lot of them have border checkpoints. Like you, there's a guy with a, a gun who, you know, looks at your papers, lets you in. Um, and that's for the people who are allowed to leave and come in. Like everyone else may or may not be forced to remain on site. Um, that is truly fucking disturbing. Yes, it is. Uh, the largest one I want to say is the golden triangle, uh, which is, uh, it's, Cambodia, Laos, uh, Vietnam, I think mm-hmm. I always mess up the Vietnam part, but it's basically everything south of China. And there's a, a long ass river that they all run along and it's just they throw all their pollutants in that river from their manufacturing. And that's also where a lot of uh, Chinese workers uh, go to vacation. Um, the special economic zones give them opportunities to vacation as well. So it's ah. it's very odd in that regard. Oui. It's it's a little bit like how Westerners treat the uh, the Gulf states, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like you know, which are essentially slave, several of them are slave states, and Westerners go on vacation there. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely that's not a bad comparison to be honest. Um, the uh, but these special economic zones are known for allowing additional leverage on these factories and um you can actually go to united Steelworkers or um any large international union and if you go to their blog and start searching you'll find stuff on these zones and like labor organizers disappear and that's just a normal occurrence that's happening in a place where no one can get in or out so so these are these are genuinely just like companies operating as countries with all of the uh you know 
force that we associate with with a, a country in terms of being able to disappear people or just make things the way that they want yeah and um it's it's never phrased or executed quite that bluntly but it just happens and nothing happens as a result if that makes sense it's just kind of a that's the agreement and that's what we invested in so this that's you know we expect you're not going to give us a bunch of shit if a couple of random people disappear it's not worth killing this whole project is it yeah wow and anything you do involving um uh, labor rights internationally is along those lines even outside of a special economic zone i get furious whenever i see um any trade agreement discussed in terms of labor rights because Mm -hmm. the enforcement of uh trade agreements labor rights is the withdrawal from the uh uh the agreement right Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah. becomes a problem because once you have a trade agreement in place, like let's use NAFTA as an example, it was hailed as going to be giving all these amazing labor rights to Mexico. None of those labor rights got established. And now all three countries in NAFTA make a trillion dollars a year off of the agreement. They're not going to trash a trillion dollar agreement over, you know, 20 labor organizers in Oaxaca. They'll just kill them. That's like, why would you ever bother, you know? Right. Why would you threaten an agreement that large over something that small in their eyes? Yeah, you can take the jobs from the American heartland, give it to guys in Mexico that you can kill at will. Yeah, and Mexico's been getting better about that, but, like, better is a very relative stance here. Uh, Someone just got disappeared, like, a year or two ago, and they were, like, a massive labor organizer. Um, I want to say in Guadalajara, and they were, like, unionizing multiple maquilladoras. Well, I think it was just in the past couple of weeks that like nine activists and labor organizers in the Philippines were massacred, right? Yeah, that's I mean, I I don't want to I'm not I don't want to be a dick to the Philippines, but the Philippines was actually what I was thinking of when I said they've got like Mexico's gotten better as they're no longer on the Philippines level. But yeah, I mean, Philippines and human rights, you know, they those, you know, they export their people and their people are treated bad at home and abroad. Yeah, exactly. From what, I under- from what I understand, it's it's not good. Um, the Philippines, Thailand, uh, Burma, Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a killer. Um, I was. Do you guys uh, remember the Rana Plaza collapse? Yes, that factory. Yeah, yeah. It was like a garment factory, right? It was a garment factory, and um, I was one of the many, many people who were doing work on it. Uh, specifically, I was coordinating reports uh, from uh, ground level investigators who all worked with international mm-hmm. unions, um, who because all every every company immediately said, to our knowledge, we have no clothes being created in this uh, district in Bangladesh. This one district. And the problem is that district is responsible for like four or five percent of the entire world's clothing. So that's Jeez. that's just an impossibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no way you own a clothing brand that is, you know, a national clothing brand or international clothing brand and you weren't using them. That's just a that, that you're full of shit. But they get to yeah, say it because somehow all that paperwork. Got yeah. It. Right. And the thing is, they are correct because what in terms of their like legalese, because what they've done is they've outsourced it to right. a supply chain logistics company um, yeah. who they are very, very closely. There's a very gross intersection of national security apparatus folks uh, and consultants mm. like the McKinsey kind of stuff and a lot of CIA ding, stuff. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> 
those those groups all like merge together and also work with these supply chain logistics companies and they really? do things like set you know uh bread prices and uh you know uh nominate uh, candidates to run for the democratic primary in 2020 boom so uh and, and, and fix states yeah. to, uh... yeah. <laughs> they're, they're getting really into apps <laughs> my i can't between this and everything Truanon has done, I can't believe how much McKinsey and the security state comes up when one talks about capital. Like, I know they're essentially the same thing, but it is wild how much, no, they're literally the same thing. Yeah. yeah. When they say security, what they mean is securing the fact that you're going to keep paying this amount for bread. That's right. what they mean. Like, it's inseparable. <laughs> Walmart and McKinsey and the CIA are n- kind of not different. Uh, the Waltons confirmed as James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's upsetting, but there's like truth to it. You know, it's uh, if you, yeah. if there's anything you use every day, uh, like any product that you use on the daily, it, it is something that has uh, billions of dollars invested in it. Um, sometimes, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars invested in it. And it involves a global supply chain. That's nearly impossible to decipher. It takes years to do it accurately and correctly. Um, I understand that. That's why I buy all my products from a trader named Joe. Uh, he seems like an all right guy. No issues with unionization in his shops, let me tell you. Uh. <laughs> his sustainable $2 wine. Yes, yeah, that totally normal thing that should definitely exist. Yes, not at all squeezing uh, migrant farmers in California. Um so true yeah but so i i think you hit on something really fascinating there with the idea that like there are all these proxy companies when you have this amount of money involved there's always going to be somebody that they can pay to wash their hands and so it sounds like what you're describing is a series of hand washing companies that protect the institutions that we rely on to provide us with things uh from ever having any responsibility for the horrors that they are directly responsible for right right it's um there's a, a movie I like to compare it to. Um, have you guys ever seen Dark Waters? It's uh, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, no, sadly. I'm familiar with the case, though. Uh, okay. du- with, with DuPont. Cause my family is kind of, part of my family is from that area. It's uh, the oil spotlight, right? It's the PFT one or PFOA yeah. or whatever. Uh, but anyway, the a lot of people came away from that movie like really inspired because in the end he started getting payouts from uh mm-hmm. what was it 3m i can't remember the company mm-hmm. no i think it's dupont dupont yeah dupont directly so uh he starts getting uh payouts and a lot of people come from that movie like inspired and i came out like well it took him 20 years to start getting payouts mm-hmm. and they've already found a new chemical that sidesteps it that pretty much does the same thing you, like mm-hmm. it's just it took one guy and all the resources like humanly possible uh, that, that could have give, been given to him to, you know, get a 20 year resolution that's still going to this day and still being challenged. You know, it's it's actually a very dark narrative uh, if you're really thinking in terms of how fast it is to set up these new chains and these new alternatives and how much how long it takes to unravel the damage from all of them. Mm. It's basically happening faster than it can be unwound. Um, in fact, that's why I'm convinced that all this stuff is run by nuns. Um, the social justice 
uh, <laughs> for real. These the, the like the deep dives in the international policy, because I think the only people who can do this in any kind of sustained, long stemming effort have to have one have an organization with lots of resources that they can leverage for the stock resolutions. And mm-hmm. two, you have to have a group of people who believe that they are going to hell if they commit suicide, because the alternative is <laughs> they'll just start committing suicide 10 years in. Like I, oh man, <laughs> I do not think I could have lasted uh, ten years doing it. I think at at some point I'm uh, hopefully getting the help I need and then leaving. Or like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's, and I'm not a depressed person. I've never been diagnosed with depression. I've never had that as an issue. Uh, I'm very lucky on that front, but it is deeply. Yeah, it's just the depressing. reality of of understanding just how how this beast rides in the darkness. It's it's also why like whenever someone is like, oh, I don't think this whole Epstein thing has like, you know, tendrils that go like further out. It's like, mm, no, everything else does. So why wouldn't this? Mm-hmm. Well, how mm-hmm. can you? I, I never understand those people. I mean, we have talked a lot about Jeffrey Epstein because we're podcasters. But the idea that that's just so insane. Like all these things are connected. <laughs> no, I agree. I 100 percent agree. It's. You know, the, the Dutro affair is always the easy one to point to, but it is worth, like, reading about if you haven't. It's hard to find stuff, but I went through the New York Times archive and read everything I could on it, and it's... Remind know. our listeners of that. The Dutro affair, I want to say it was Belgium. Uh, they uh, they basically had a Jeffrey Epstein-style um, investigation uh, to a guy who was Jeffrey Epstein-esque, and it involved like the cops literally going into a house where like every like multiple cops reported they heard childlike screams from the basement but the uh, commanding officer on site said no we're not going to the basement because i've been given an order not to and Woo. it created this web of like no one in any political spectrum was willing to give the benefit of the doubt because it was very clear something was happening and it tore the entire government apart because everyone who had power was trying to prevent this one guy Dutro from being outed and, and being able to voice, uh, to turn on them basically. Wow. Yeah. It destroyed the nation. Wow. And and that nation may have just been Belgium, but think about that could be you. Yeah, that could be you. (laughs) Uh, so anyway, back to, back to supply chains. <laughs> it's They're a, connected. That's no, all I'm mean, saying. Like, <laughs> I mean, well, what is Epstein if not a supply chain of children? Right, well, what is that? Right? I mean, like, I can't believe, I, and again, this has been reported on to, so we're not get totally into it much better in Trunon, but like $150 million to one of the most powerful men, from the, one of the most powerful men in the world, Leon Black. Like, a guy who runs are one of the biggest single funds in the entire world. Like that, it that is connected. It's just also Victoria's yeah. Secret funded his whole life. Oh yeah, and like he was a very active. The modeling agencies all had like excerpts they tried to get removed that basically like shit told people, oh yeah, Epstein's the guy to hook you up if you want to like get into mm-hmm. modeling for Victoria's Secret. So he was clearly vetting people. Yes, we could call it betting. Yeah. yeah, no, he was he was all into that. You know, how many how many people do do we know that uh let's see, hang out with uh just off the top of my head, a couple presidents, Bill Gates, uh, you know, Jeff uh, Bezos. Jeff Bezos like oh, oh yeah, no, there was nothing going on there. Abe no smoke Barack. or fire. Yeah. <laughs> perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. All good people. But that's the thing. You're just <laughs> listing good people. <laughs> 
Nobel Prize winners, some of them. <laughs> a lot of them. My favorite right. is Dersh. That's the, the Dersh will always <laughs> oh, be yeah. funny. Oh, man. I mean, okay, they were boys. They didn't hang out. They were brothers. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because in one of Dershowitz's books, um, it's called The Abuse Excuse, uh, by the way, and the the book posits <laughs> the book posits that women overall are lying in large numbers about being abused by men. Um, he's got a chapter. It also says that uh, for all intents and purposes, a uh, teenager is no different than an adult, so they should be treated legally as such. And I cannot imagine what incentive he would have <laughs> to form such an opinion. That's so weird. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. But he's how, gonna... how could that come up? And I can't believe, by the way, and this is until pretty recently, for decades, for decades, the New York Times would report on his every move. Like, Dershowitz is in Martha's Vineyard going to a nude beach. It's like, why do I need to know that? Why is that a headline? Yeah, well, I mean, apparently things are happening around him. Uh, my my <laughs> yeah. favorite chapter in that book, though, was called Wives Want to Kill Their Husbands Too. No, no, you're kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding at all. Making shit up. I'm not. I'll, I'll send you. Uh, I did a, a tweet about it and like highlighted it in the book. But yeah, it's called <laughs> "Wives Want to Kill Their Husbands." Want to murder their husbands too? I think might have been the phrasing. But yeah. Okay, just because that's Alan Dershowitz's personal experience <laughs> doesn't mean. <laughs> hey, I you mean, know Sue lot. was coming for him. It's a lot, allegedly, of Alan Dershowitz's experience. <laughs> Friggin' Dersh. What's weird about the supply chain stuff, um, I shouldn't say weird, maybe. It's the thing that whenever I tell people about the work I did in person, they'll always be yeah. like, well, why didn't I read about this? And why wasn't this reported? <laughs> um, no, it, it really is, though. Like, normal people are like, this is horrifying. Yeah. Why is this not being reported? And what's, mm -hmm. you know, there's a very long answer to that. That I don't want to get into, but even when this stuff is made super obvious to people, no one, even if it's like out there and it's, it's presented mm. to the population, no one really wants to think about it and no one uh, really wants to process it. Um, do you remember the Mitt Romney video um, that got leaked? The 47% video, right? Do you remember yes. that? Yes, where 47% of people are basically considered drag drains on the state, useless, takers. Right. And the correct percentage is 100 because we are all in service of the state. But, mm -hmm. no, uh, to uh, – <laughs> just putting out propaganda. But, no, we uh, – no, It's 69%. It's <laughs> 69%. Um, but one of the things that gets lost is that was a larger video. Mm. Um, and it was like an hour long, so – it always got cut down to the 47% part, but the 47% part was not the the thing that I and all the other people who were on that ship before it got verified are like, Oh, this is 100% real. Like we're going through it. The big thing we were all obsessed with the, the weirdos on the internet who saw this leaked footage and are like, Oh yeah, this is hundred percent legit before the, the voice synthesizer stuff uh, was able to mm -hmm. verify that mm -hmm. it was Romney. Um, was there's a portion in it where Romney talks about going to a special economic zone in China. 
and okay, he approaches Must have been on vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he was working for Bane. He says it explicitly, right? Um, and he's going to a, a major manufacturing company, and I still do not know what it is. And I've tried to find out for the life of me forever. Um, I'm gonna be like occasionally getting drunk and trying to research myself into finding out which yes. uh, co- company it was. Excited uh, for that follow-up episode. It's it's nearly impossible to figure out because it's none of his shit was public back then, and Bane yeah. was isn't big on talking about that kind of stuff. But um, he talks about a large uh, large manufacturing plant, and mm-hmm. it's surrounded by gates with razor wire and guards with guns, and it has guard towers, notably far mm-hmm. out from the plant, not on the plant, but like far out from the plant. Uh, kind of like how one would envision a prison, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and what it sounds like. Romney's telling this story. He's telling us this story to a group of people eating dinner, and he's like, he's bragging about how amazing America is. And he says, "At first, I thought this was some kind of slave plant, uh, but then I asked the manager on site who was helping me go around, and he said, oh, no, 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 no. See, the oppressive.'" Uh, uh, People's Republic of China government forces us to pay anyone who sneaks into the factory and works. So those guards are actually to keep people out, not to keep them in. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. uh, yeah. And Ronnie went on to buy several bridges. In the area. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And it's one of those things where some of the stuff he describes, like uh, how young women would work at a plant for like three months or six months or whatever. Um, would do it because they would want to get a dowry so they could get married uh, kind of thing. But none of the timeline with what he's discussing there actually lines up because by the time he was, uh, uh, by the time he was in that position, um, all of the one child stuff have had kind of rendered that, you know, not obsolete, Mm -hmm. but a very uh, less common thing. And on Mm -hmm. top of it, like a lot of those places that would have three or six month stints for young women still like forced them to be there and would like just gun them down if they tried to leave. Like um, one thing a lot of people don't know. uh, And again, this is going to be a St. Jobs, Steve Jobs. Oh, yeah. Um, The the genius who brought you the iPhone, the Internet, Apple. Uh, We had a libertarian just in the last week ask us, how can you be a socialist? Are you typing on your iPhone? Yeah, <laughs> that guy. That's uh, someone should have thought of that argument prior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, so for uh, the iPhone and the entire. This is such a depressing story. So, Jobs. <laughs> Uh, this is told to me by a guy uh, who was an international trade unionist. He was Filipino American, and he had mm-hmm. like one parent in both countries, so he had like a um, he had a dual interest, and he became an international mm-hmm. unionist. And uh, he was actually also on the ground in uh, uh, Bangladesh, helping them like search through the rubble and shit to try and find old glory jeans, which they eventually did. Um, but uh, he, he's a cool guy. Um, but he uh, was was. Uh, he was telling me about one of the things he was told um, by uh, a regional manager uh, in China was that jobs, number one requirement for China. He didn't go to China to get the cheapest possible phone. Um, Mm. The uh, in fact, Korea at the time, I think was offering cheaper, uh, cheaper manufacturing of uh, Mm. semiconductors and uh, other things at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know about now because now they have the economies of scale and they've kind of perfected it. 
But um, at the time, Korea uh, was a possible place to do it. And uh, America wasn't actually too far off dollar-wise, uh, which is kind of shocking. But um, wild. But uh, anyway, he uh, the big thing with, with Jobs was he wanted uh, – he his words, supposedly, or at least the words of the interpreter, um, was that he wanted someone – who would make sure that nothing uh, from the phone got leaked, uh, no matter the cost, right? And it was kind of understood Ooh, no okay. matter the cost meant, like, if you find someone sneaking out with, like, a phone to, like, take a picture or, like, someone trying to, you'll make sure that doesn't happen, no matter how. You're going to make mm-hmm. sure people are locked in. You're going to make sure you're going to take care of whoever needs to be taken care of. It was very mob boss discussion. But it's yeah. literally just because he wanted his super special presentation to not be interrupted. That was, and that decision to clamp down and create a, a completely sealed off, hermetically sealed supply chain that was uh, completely secret, despite what all the text reporters were uh, trying to discover, um, that has now shaped the entire manufacturing of electronics in the world. Really? everything from televisions um obviously computers i mean it's because they've taken that model and uh they use the hermetically sealed aspect of it and they just kept replicating that with stuff like foxconn where it wasn't even about mm-hmm. preserving apple ip or preserving you know not hap- you know not letting anyone leak details about your stupid phone two weeks early mm-hmm. um it was just about if they can control the site 100 percent then they can control um, the workers and they can uh, they can ensure the most efficient manufacturing process. They found out, you know, shockingly that uh, industrializing something and uh, making it as dense as possible is efficient. You know, um, one of the weirder yeah. parts you see about special economic zones, too, is they become mm-hmm. these powder kegs. Really? Um, yeah. For labor. Uh, so. Wow. It's kind of funny because well, it's not funny at all. But they'll uh, the companies in special economic zones will sometimes promise to give a union to the workers, mm. um, and the union will just be a union from the company. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, guys. We got you. Yeah. Exactly. Donuts in the break room. Covered. <laughs> um, it goes down about as well as you expect. But one of the things is because uh, the land, this just the sheer square footage of these things, is so valuable. If someone does a wildcat strike in one part mm-hmm. of a special economic zone, it keeps moving down the line. Mm-hmm. The moment someone right. realizes, like, I can stop working um, and that will uh, that's having an effect, they do it. And it's that that Marxist close proximity, you know, because Marx's right. whole mentality was the uh, manufacturing in Europe. That was kind of how he mm-hmm. uh, he was processing his thoughts. So. Well, yeah, and I mean proximity back then for that kind of stuff—not just culturally, but the way the way the early factories were set up, there was a lot of proximity. Yeah, exactly. It was very easy to talk to and witness fellow workers and what they were going through, mm-hmm. um, which is the exact opposite of what all the supply chain uh, nonsense is about. So much work and effort going in to make your phone feel like it descended out of Steve Jobs' hand from heaven into your uh, your palm. Uh, 
yeah. instead of all of this misery. But that is a very fascinating point with the Wildcat Strikes. And I imagine because all of these things are reliant on so many different components that if one thing stops, it's going to throw off the whole chain. Absolutely. There's a lot of integration. In fact, the Golden Triangle is literally like integrate. It's 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 meant to be the most integrated supply chain in the world. That's like, it's, can I, can I, can I ask a question before you continue on with this phenomenally fascinating material? Uh, how many people would you say are caught up just roughly in working in these kinds of, in, in this sort of global South supply chain or slavery system? Like what, what which millions, people are you talking millions? about? Like how many people are, are caught as laborers and laborers in this? Oh, roughly? tens of millions. Do we know? Tens of millions. Tens of millions. Yeah. There's like 18 mil in just India. So it's, uh, Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> just a just a third of italy is caught it like italy's population is caught in this i might need to become a nun (laughs) they have those they have man nuns they're called monks (laughs) now i will say uh i'm sure there is a monk who was uh in my uh uh, brother or friar in my uh uh, proximity somewhere but i do not remember Mm -hmm. them at all all this shit is run by nuns shout out to the nuns yeah the uh, some of the only Catholics I'll put up with. Good for the nuns, man. It is funny they all think I'm Catholic too. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> it really is. Well, I shouldn't say all of them. The one I primarily worked with, uh, like knew I wasn't. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But all the other ones just it just kind of went assumed the whole time, you know. So that's, uh, that's that was funny. nice of that one nun to keep your secret too. <laughs> oh, she's so cool. So she, uh, she's been focused on, um, Asia and, uh, uh, Asia and everything South of America. Right. So, uh, Central mm-hmm. America, Mexico, uh, South America, um, Central America. And, uh, she is like, she's banned from Walmart internationally. Hell yes. Queen. Yes. <laughs> Damn. I only managed to get banned from my hometown Walmart. I got some work to do. <laughs> You're just like Ricky Bobby's dad being thrown out of the place. <laughs> he looks like him too. It's crazy. <laughs> I take that as a compliment. He's a handsome gentleman. <laughs> and uh, she she's banned from them. She was organizing in, in cartel-run maquiadoras for like 30 Oof. years. Um, and for those Whoa. who don't know, in Mexico, the maquiadoras, they're manufacturing plants, uh, and they're often uh, cartel-run. Um, and uh, they do not look kindly on union... Uh, organization <laughs> wait wait are you saying putting the cartel as the pmc class is bad for workers <laughs> yes i am metal gear that. solid about this what if, <laughs> what, what if instead what if instead guys okay what if instead of mckinsey style girl bosses we 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 had 13 guys with machetes we got some guy from the zetas who just has a necklace of ears yeah yeah. What about that? These things are, in fact, equally bad. But that's, that's the thing. They, that's why I'm comparing them. They're the same thing. It's the same picture. <laughs> yeah, it's just Cheryl Sandberg on one side and a guy with a human ear necklace. I can't tell the difference between the pictures. One thing that actually has me worried on all this front too is, um, you know, I spent oh, a, one thing. Yeah, <laughs> one thing. The only thing that concerns me on this. Um, the uh, the nuns I worked with are, they're all, I think the youngest one I worked with was 62, right? Um, wow. They're sure. not. They're nuns. They're, they're, uh, they're not spring chickens, but they all joined when they were like uh, in their teens. Uh, wow. The one I'm thinking of uh, who I worked with in, uh, who did all the stuff with the Machiadoras, she 
uh, started being a nun when she was 16. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Yes. And it wasn't like some, uh, there, there wasn't a, there's no story there in other than she was like, you know, it just, it's this very like upbeat and positive, like, well, people were enslaving other people and that seemed wrong. Like just, oh. it just the most innocent. Damn, that is so, so much cooler than when I signed my purity pledge at 16. <laughs> God, Protestants fucking suck. <laughs> we definitely don't have like, we don't have the like the people's movement in the same way that like sort of lower level parts of Catholicism. Oh, we do. It's just called neo Nazis. Yeah. Not okay. But the Catholics at the high level have the Nazis. Remember? Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> uh, anyway, continue. This lady's a badass. <laughs> and um, but all of these ladies were uh, they joined when they were like eighteen. You know, and, and mm-hmm. the one lady I'm talking about, she was she's now 77, 78. And she was doing mm-hmm. this shit. Uh, she was like in Mexico organizing labor groups like 10 years ago. So this is not Incredible. she was doing it when she was in her 60s um, wow. as a white woman, just like running around in Mexico, like trying to sneak around corners, literally and like plants and be like, hey, you want to start a union? Like, oh, my God. So, <laughs> That is so goddamn. That is the most metal shit I've ever heard, and I'm such a wuss. (laughs) If I could be that real for one day, I would never stop talking about it. The fact that she did it for 30 years. (laughs) And she doesn't like discussing it, which makes it even better. If she was a white dude, she'd have a podcast. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, But there's no younger generations who did this, because everyone who was younger and wanted to get into anything involving this stuff kind of got into the, the nonprofit circuit that was um, uh, just, you know what I mean? It, they, they yeah. weren't going through the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they got sucked into the neoliberal hellhole of nonprofit. Work. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Is yeah. They, they got into that world and um, there's advantages of it. The institutions um, are further removed from certain negative things. But the mm-hmm, downside yeah. is they're almost all controlled by their donors, and their donors do not want that kind of work happening anyway. Right. Um, right. So it it is kind of a thing that's dying out, and it's going to be dying out, you know, for another 10, 15 years. Um, Damn. Well, yeah. as long as there's hope. Yeah, as long <laughs> as there's hope. Um, it is... It is rough, nasty work, um, and yeah. uh, it's not pretty. It's, I mean, it's a lot of boring stuff too. Like uh, one of my things I had to do because it was uh, we were trying to get evidence that uh, I want to say cat, as in caterpillar, mm-hmm. um, ignored a stock resolution. So we had to go through like uh, again the the nun I worked with primarily had like footage from a stockholder meeting that she took illegally in like a disguise. And I had to, like, go through the footage to find the exact part where, like, they were supposed to announce it and didn't. And these, these companies, Incredible. yeah, they're, they're all aware of it. Um, and they're required legally to report the ability to process uh, proxy resolutions. Um, but the way they do it is they give you a 350-page stock investor report, right? Mm, and yeah. that annual report has like tons of pictures and like beautiful language and they pay insane amounts of money to make it as pretty and everything as possible, but they will not index the, uh, how to file a resolution. And in what day it'll be one day you have to have the thing postmarked during a certain quarter. Right. Wow. So it'll be like, we will only accept proxy resolutions that are postmarked on March 14th, 
2021 for the next session. So not not up to, not yeah. as of, but on that day it has to be postmarked. Um, and uh, they bury it in the middle of a paragraph that's talking about like yeah. EEOC shit. And it's no, like I a total the, non sequitur. I see those from time to time. They're insane. Yes. I'm glad you've seen them because it's you sound like a crazy person where it's like, yeah, it'll be talking about how how much they love diversity. And then they'll say just one line, submit your stock resolution to this address on this day. And then it like goes back to EEOC shit and it doesn't even break like the paragraph. So you literally have to read <laughs> through 300 pages of their banal minutia to find out how to file a resolution as an owner of the company. Yep. Well, I think what I'm taking from this is that capitalism breeds innovation. (laughs) (laughs) Innovation's in bullshit, but you know. Yeah, it's uh, it is very, very innovative. Um, I think it's interesting. Also, let us not take skip by the fact where the nuns have disguises. (laughs) That's incredible. And are secretly filming succession-style boardroom meetings. It's too good. Well, it's it's like it's, a stockholder meeting, so it's it's much larger than just a board meeting. But yes, it's sure, sure. Uh, they are an undercover. That is true. Well, yes. we, we have the title of our episode for the week now, so that's good. Oh, so beautiful! No, I incredible. Like, it sounds like some movie shit that you're describing. Well, it's like the movie shit's pretty rare. It's most of, of it is like going through the video and going through files. Mm. And literally just like the basic investigative stuff. And the people who put in a ton of the on the ground labor are the international unionists who are literally just flying around to like when Rot when uh, Rana Plaza collapsed, um, the uh, mm. United Steelworkers and uh, ooh, there's another big union I've lost, but um, I'll I'll give them credit next time. I can't remember. But United Steelworkers were like immediately on the ground um, from a. Uh, uh, from an offshoot for in the the Philippines and another offshoot in Vietnam. And they were handing out food, finding places for people to go, trying to find people who are still alive in the rubble while also trying wow. to find like evidence of who was using that factory and why and what. Yeah. And it was the Rana Plaza collapse is one of those totally avoidable things where mm-hmm. they had uh, generators on top of the building uh, to run all the <sighs> machines and the generators, they basically just, like, cemented into the frame of the building. Well, yeah. generator's a big spinning thing that just spins real fast constantly, right? Yeah. So you have guys going to the roof with, like, jerry cans and just filling this generator up all the time, like a modern-day coal shoveler in a train. And they're just, you know, pouring it in, pouring it in. Um, and... Well, when it's cemented into the frame of the building and it's shaking like that, and there's multiple of them shaking on different ends, it creates pretty big, you know, fractures. Uh, yeah. So they started like getting masonry nails and literally like getting like big ass pieces of wood and trying to like plank wood to keep the cement from moving. Oh, Jesus. And oh, my gosh. It, this went on for like over a year. Like they knew this building was going to tumble at any moment. And um, some of the workers did leave, but most uh, didn't because that's how bad the options in Bangladesh were. Right. Um, Of course. I mean, workers don't have options so much of the time, particularly in that context. As Matty Glacius would say, different places have different working standards and that's okay. We just need a billion Americans and that will make everyone more free. I can't, I like, come on. That's how we innovate. 
Graham. Oh, that's, uh, and that's... just just to put a, a cap on that, when you're talking about preventable known disasters, just waiting to happen, uh, what was the human cost of that in terms of lives lost? Twelve hundred is the yeah. final with uh, two hundred missing. So incredible. Uh, yeah. I, you know, and I mean, man-made disasters of capitalism, I mean, goes all the way back to the Dust Bowl and beyond. I mean, I, like, have family die in the Dust Bowl, for Pete's sake. Like, that, it, like, it happens here, it happens there. It, it's it's so disgusting. Yeah, I have the best it, family it, history. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Please. I was going to say, I have the best family history, because it's just, like, it's just a bunch of, like, shitty farmers who did nothing special, except they kept going, ooh, I don't like the looks of that, leaving right before something terrible happened. <laughs> Heroes. <laughs> They're, like, the first rats out of the ship. Well, that's a, I will say, uh, without assuming too much about your race here, but uh, that's a lot of white Americans. <laughs> rats out of oh, the ship, maybe. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Irish, unfortunately. On topic. <laughs> uh, that all is insane. Yes. And it's it gets like annoying because it's real people dealing with like real problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in the mud and you're actually like talking to people and you're talking to a lot of interpreters too, um, yeah. the information you're getting is just severe and, and disgusting. And what will end up happening is you'll get um, you'll get someone who says, well, there's actually no slavery in India. Because it's simply a debt peonage system. And it's like, man, it's a debt peonage system that transfers to your kids. Where your kids, when you die mm. now, owe the shit. Mm. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's fucking slavery. And, like, there's real people. Like, this is not... This is not where you fucking play Scrabble with the word. Right. It is a very real and thing. And, and they do lives. get killed. Like, that's... Yeah. People do get murdered in these places. Mm-hmm. And libs, PMC libs, love nothing more than redefining a term, like baby cages on the border. Jesus. And that's like part of how I found this nun was I was doing um, some uh, uh, I was doing uh, some protesting in uh, 20, uh, I want to say 2013 Mm -hmm. um, over some border policy stuff. Um, And she was in the circles and I met her and um that was kind of how that relationship formed. And she, she knew I, I wasn't like Catholic from the start. She was pretty, mm-hmm. pretty aware. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually pretty funny. I was like the, the edgy atheist, um, <laughs> way back in the day. Some and, Dawkins energy up in here. Yeah. No, for real. Like I read his book. <laughs> uh, I, Cause I was a huge, uh, Hitchens fan, like pre like 2004 when that was like all he talked yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. There was an era before that whole scene sort of went really mask off before, where I think it was it had its moment of sort of more mainstreamed popularity before he was like women can't be funny. Yeah. Which, <laughs> right. Yeah, he uh no it so I had that and then my personal experience was I basically saw a couple of people like lose their religion and they like went uh they, they I can't think of a better word but they went crazy. Um, sure. and, uh, I was like, Oh, I guess this is really important to some people. Okay. Like they need it. And that's, you know, if you need it, that's okay. Like, you know, I, I need stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're all just different people and, um, you know, I'm going to respect and acknowledge that different people need, need different comforts and that's just all there is to it. And they feel a deep, uh, 
a deep belief with it. And that's, uh, you know, that's who am I to, it's not like I fucking know. So, I mean, we exclusively exist to shit on Christians here. So, I mean, it's fine. So you're, 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 you're no, I mean, it's just, it's like, uh, I stopped judging it immediately when I saw someone go through yeah, that crisis totally. of faith. And I just was of like, course. okay, well, like, you know what? This was like a really good person who was doing good stuff. And now they're just like a shell of their former self. And, you know, I was like, yeah. okay, well, which is really preferable, you know? So mm, I, I just started weighing things on that. So how okay. how long did you work in in this sort of sphere? Do you mind? Oh, I did not work long. I worked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh God, uh, around a year and a half. I don't want to go a little over that, but it's around a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the problem is you go through so much information, and the hours are pretty crazy because everything is a deadline between a co- uh, a company, or it's you're live chatting with someone in Asia. Well, those are terrible hours. You know, yeah, yeah. It's it, it becomes all consuming, um, and uh, you know you end up like sure. doing I mean, like you're, you're fighting you're fighting giants all the time. Yeah, like, like that, that's an unending. E- your break, quote unquote, is like you'll take a week or two to focus on like death squads in Honduras mm-hmm. because yeah, they're sure. at least in the same time zone as you, so you get to talk to the victims while you're awake. Vacation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Whew. I, wow. I, uh, I think the obvious next question <laughs> is where, I mean, where do you, what do you see as the future of this? You know, like, uh, I mean, we could talk about supply chains all day and I would be extremely happy to, but like, where does this go from here? And is there, I mean, is there any reasonable fight except for a bunch of geriatric James Bond-esque nuns who are going around doing crimes for the for the, for the greater good? Heroes. Uh, yeah, real ones. <laughs> yeah, so um, in terms of what the suppliers are doing, they're getting more diverse and they're getting better about um, kind of corralling national policy across the world. And they, uh, they're basically doing what I do to, to car dealers where I will, uh, I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm kind of, I'm a huge asshole for the record, which is why I get into all this stuff because it's welcome. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's my penance for knowing I'm kind of an asshole, but it's, <laughs> I will go to a car dealer and I will be like, Hey, what, what's the best price you can do for this exact model right here? I see on the lot. And I will have in my pocket a phone with the speaker on with a dealer from another lot. And then when that person lists a price, I'll be like, you two should just haggle. And then I'll go with whoever I will go and sign the papers right now and step into the vehicle of whoever gets me the lowest price. And, um, and then those two salespeople fell in love. <laughs> and no, and no, and then McKinsey showed up at the scene, yeah. said, "Make the price higher," and agreed to it. And you both win. Yeah, but <laughs> and, and that day, Grim went to prison. <laughs> they're doing that internationally, and what's amazing is Amazon has started doing that internally, nationally. That's really oh yeah, that's what they did with the Crystal City in New York one. Where they were like, hey, everyone should be applying for us to put our new headquarters in your city. Mm. And literally just like, you guys make the offers. Whoever yeah, gives us yeah. the best offer, you get an Amazon warehouse. Whoever gives us the most autonomy. Um, and it's the same reason, too. Because like Amazon's official goal was to like go with the best city. But the real goal was just to lower the asking price on the two actual cities they wanted. 
And it's the same deal. They'll be like, well, we know we work best with these two regimes, but if they feel pressure from other competitors, then they'll lower their price anyway. Right. And so that's happening with supply chain around the world. Right. They're starting to get into these large bargaining networks and these large rapid, uh, 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 rapid negotiations. Um, and it's, it's pretty powerful. And what's weird is um, it takes so long to set up factories, but now there's just entire areas that specialize in it in so, but like little tiny areas in so many different places that you do have lots of options for returning mm. and, and getting new work from other places. Golly, if only Marx or someone had anticipated that capital would start acting autonomously <laughs> and that the upper class would solidify. <laughs> like, if only <laughs> someone in some time had seen this coming. Yeah. So... This is this is just getting worse. Is basically yeah. where we're at. We're like, we're, we're, yes. what's going to happen next? He's like, oh, it's getting faster, meaner, and more efficient. <laughs> that I mean, the slavery is getting ba- bad. <laughs> yeah, it's getting like it's getting like the turtle wax on it. The real problem, and it's kind of like the the even darker side of all this, is they're doing what? this. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I'm just, I keep sh- like shaking the eight ball, hoping a different answer will come up and it just keeps getting worse. Well, like the, the darker part of all of this is there's, they're just squeezing the entire world dry, right? These supply chains right. and supply chain logistics are just, and they're, they're doing stuff like burning through millions of tons of the dirtiest oil in the world that produces mm-hmm. like 20% of the greenhouse gases to get shit to America for one cent cheaper a unit than somewhere else with like zero environmental effect that's nearby America. Right. Like it's this Mm. insane waste that goes on. Um, And meanwhile, foreign capital and global capital overall is like running out of places to put money. Right. They've become too good at their own job and they are out of ways to make money and they keep like freaking out and trying to find a new thing to make money on. And it's just not there. It's just, yeah. there's just, mm. so they're squeezing the entire, they're effectively squeezing the entire world. And like, they're kind of at the end of the line at the moment, it looks like in terms of finding a new way to make money. So it's literally just all for not because it, mm-hmm. the money could just be going to the fucking workers. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yes. And, yeah, like, they can't even find a way to get more value out of what they have, but they have to keep this entire chain of exploitation, misery, murder, and death running because you know that's that's just capitalism, baby. I have the dollars now. It, it's literally that's it. It's just it's the supremacy of of higher investment rates. It is. I am going to control what I can control and I have to constantly be looking for ways to squeeze people. Even if I don't have, even if I'm making money already, like I'm way past the point of any kind of marginal improvement in anything. I don't even need to squeeze them, but if I'm not squeezing them, then I am failing by proxy of potentially giving power to someone down suit that may serve me later. Uh, So we're reaching a point where Essentially, we have globalized the world, destroyed the entire environment, and in the process of doing that, reaped huge profits, et cetera, et cetera, all that awful shit. And now, all that sort of, we're sort of at the end of the line. You know, there's no new Bangladeshes. You know, there's no right. new sort of mines to dig in places that, quote unquote, you don't care about. And 
I assume they're going to turn on the workers because that's always an easy-ish place to sort of like extract a little more value. But it also feels like how much worse can you do than slavery? Than, than literal work prisons. That's yeah. the problem. It's like how much – there's not a whole lot more that can be squeezed without just straight up like risking instability. And it's creating these large upper middle classes in all these countries that were just where everyone just used to be poor. And yeah. it's creating it's simultaneously creating more stability, but fewer ways of a pro of creating a profit. And now all the largest companies in the world don't even make a profit. None of them are at all profitable. Their plans are they're never going to be profitable. It's just about owning the entire industry. Um, if you want a guy who is a good supplement to Marx, and this is like a weird thing to, uh, to suggest, but, um, there's a biography on Papa Coke. Okay. Um, and, oh, uh, yeah. uh, the, the father of the family before he passed. Yeah. Um, and he had a almost dead to point marxist analysis of the economy he was just like here's how you make money on that mm. and it's very odd to say because it's like you're you're talking about uh you know a fucking coke but he <laughs> he always wanted to be the supplier of what is required for anything to exist so for example he uh, the cokes own a ton of silicon valley shit and no one knows. Everyone thinks of Cokes and they think of like Dixie Cops and all that kind of shit. Um, and he owns a ton of Silicon Valley shit, but it's like he owns the companies that make the wires and he owns the companies that mm. make the server racks and he owns the companies that own the IP to server mounted code. And he, he owns everything required for every other online company to exist in some capacity. It's kind of hmm. like what Amazon is, is like has done as well, but he's mm -hmm. like more focused on the hardware component, but it's the same deal. He owns all these downstream companies where if he wanted to, he, you know, that or not now he's dead. Um, he's dead <laughs> bitch. But, if only uh, that had solved something. Yeah. But if, if he wanted to, he could always call and say, yeah, we're going to stop deliveries for the next uh, four weeks. And then uh, uh, we're just going to wait for their call. Mm -hmm. And then we'll, yeah. we'll renegotiate our contract. He did that all the time. He was right. like, you don't want to be the production. You want to be the means of production. And he, yeah, he, he like, it's crazy <laughs> when you read about the way he thought, because he, he has the, I want to own all the pipelines, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, yeah, that would do it. And it's like, you know, fuck processing. And you can hire any MOOC for processing. Like, I want to own the actual how does something get from point A to point B. I want to own. He owns the Koch brothers uh, own so many commodities that they mm -hmm. can't go public without ruining all their value. Because if they went public, they would have to reveal how many commodities they own. And by going public, it would lower the price of several of their commodities by making people realize it's an artificial market. Damn. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what you're describing is like a really stable system with a good future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're describing the end of history. You know. It, you know, it's stable genius, as uh, our former <laughs> president once said. Human flourishing. Wow. Yeah, human flourishing. 
Yeah. And it's, it's these self-sustaining systems that like reinforce each other and are just mm. so when I'm, oh, I gotta tell you, man, one of my biggest pet peeves is I see stuff about subsistence farmers in like any neolib paper. They talk about oh, yeah. the, the anger and the trying to get away from subsistence farmers. But, um, I'll give you a little story about a, a, a Indian woman that I got to, um, talk to. Um, she ended up, uh, finally working in a Honda plant uh, as a new job after what she was helped with, with uh, something we were doing. But mm. we then later found out that the Honda plant was abusing their workers. So anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it's real depressing, but she was like a rural uh, farm girl who's, who's, uh, whose father owned uh, his yard. And I mean, there are plenty of issues. She had an arranged marriage when she was, um, and the marriage wasn't for when she was 12. The marriage was for when she was 16 or 17. Mm. But um, so there plenty of negatives on that front. Like you have a farm community, you have a, you know, the arranged marriage. Um, mm -hmm. They weren't rich. They were poor. No one worked on their land. It was pure family. Um, mm -hmm. So she, uh, there were some people who came by and recruited her and they said, you can go work at a factory in the big city. Right. And this is a very common thing in India. You can look this up. Just yep. people who go by rural farmsteads, places, zero information infrastructure, um, often not even like water infrastructure, like their waters are either wells or them trying to pull something off the ganges if they can. Mm. Um, but, uh, and she was like, yeah, I like the idea of going to the big city, seeing new things, like going to a restaurant, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so she, uh, you know, she says, sure. Yeah. Take me with you. Like I'll work. I I'll, I'll work off a contract. No problem. No problemo. She ended up at a factory. Um, and the GM of the factory, uh, had a side gig with all the same people in the factory and the factory was entirely female. It was female top to bottom, except for the GM. And uh -huh. uh, he was also a pimp and he yeah. pimped out the workers. So the yeah. way it worked is you, you worked, uh, you worked on the floor for 10 hours and then you had six hours of after work work and then everything mm -hmm. else was sleep. Right. And, yeah. um, so there's a, she had to live through all this and she had to live through these horrifying experiences for, I want to say seven years. Um, Ooh. and this just terrifying existence, which she eventually like, uh, literally had to run away from like while uh, um, yeah. with men with guns chasing her kind of thing. Um, again, it's a factory in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I ironically never even got to the big city. Uh, it was like a, it was like a, I mean, it was, it was a bigger city. It was like, I think uh, it was like 300, 400,000 people. Um, but it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, what she kind of thought. Um, and she had to live through all this. And you know what? She uh, she definitely would have preferred to have returned to subsistence farming when I was talking to her. Yeah. And she was like, yeah. yeah, I should have never left. And I've like now told my like whole family, like, just stay the fuck on the farm. Mm -hmm. um, so there's always this weird belief that urbanization is inherently better. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of it is the insistence on the belief that anyone who lives in kind of rural areas is being dumb. Mm, thank you so um, much for saying that. It's so true. <laughs> it's, no, just, it is. it's something I fucking hate. You know, I grew up in rural areas and you mm. know, I'm, I'm not saying that like, 
it's a problem because it, it's you have people who have grown up in New York running these think tanks and running these programs and they literally have they think that like fucking tourist towns in upstate New York that have like 5,000 people are like just garbage and like that's their mm. like someplace right. with little trinkets and antiques they think is like a horrifying living to them because mm-hmm. they really can't imagine anything outside of their own existence and they'll say shit like the subsistence farmer stuff. But a lot of the people I talk to in these circles, uh, when you talk to them after all the horrors they went through they're, they're kind of like, yeah, subsistence farming would be better. Literally risking mm-hmm. famine is like better than the shit that I had to live through. And uh, I tend to take them at their word. Wow. Certainly. That's extremely well said. And uh, something we've talked about a lot on this podcast is these sort of, and we both live in LA, but yeah. is these sort of like coastal prejudice in Listen, this country and otherwise. I grew up in rural areas and I'm stupid, but that doesn't make me the same as everyone else. <laughs> there are lots of people much smarter than me. Michael, <laughs> Michael's the exception. Yeah. To be clear, like I am not comparing rural America to rural India. No, of course, of course. It's not even a die So we keep asking is there any hope and you keep telling us darker and darker <laughs> stories. Okay, uh, so, so maybe let's I mean, so if you do have an answer, I'm happy to hear it, but I also just want to... Okay, all right, go ahead. So the real answer that's good is while the (laughs) nuns are kind of... um, They're they're kind of becoming an extinct factor, basically, just because there's no Mm -hmm. recruitment. Um, Unions and international unions are getting stronger Mm -hmm. and stronger. Um, We're Mm -hmm. seeing wildcat strikes, even in, like, hardcore red states. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. it's not just America; it's also happening in Mexico. Uh, there was uh, the unions helped shut down the uh, the airport development in Adeafa um, in uh, Mexico City. Hell yeah! And um, uh, it's being redone, but they've made changes, and it's things are happening on the um, on the labor organization end of the scale. Um, I'm thrilled to hear that. It it, it is happening. Um, in fact, that's part of why the news kind of seems so dark is because uh, a lot of these companies are kind of being forced to show their hand and being forced mm, to mm-hmm. they're, they're cracking down in ways they didn't have to before because there was no reason to before, you know. Mm-hmm. So in in its own way, um, the fact that these movements are building and they're connecting to each other um, is uh, is significant and is good. Yeah, and I, I think that's such an important point to make is that like, hey, this is this is what happens when, when workers bond together and resist. Like things will change, but also capital will try to uh, establish the order it would prefer to so to say. And as you mentioned, that that can be literally disappearing people. Uh, but like these these strikes and these uh, you know union efforts uh, creating friction uh, is is just a part of the process, and I. It, I don't know if I'm saying that right. It, you're right. It is it is making something visible, whereas before it was running smoothly in all its horrors. Yeah, that that's exactly where it is. It was running smoothly before. Now there's, you know, a little bit of gunk in the works. And um, what makes it even better is because there's no place for them to really throw their excess capital to, into anyway. Now the ability mm. to extract concessions should, in theory, be greater because that mm. utility is like dropping dramatically every day they're unable to find a place to park the money interesting um as marx would say uh they fucking need you bro (laughs) yeah and you know it'll i i just am you know 
the the most optimistic I can be is that we will increase these international unions and begin joining together with our brothers across the globe right about the moment we all drown in the sea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah, there's a timer on this thing that I am not <laughs> optimistic about. Yeah. We're uh, on the same page there, brother. <laughs> but I, I do appreciate uh, that that attempt at positivity. Uh, for people <laughs> that want to delve deeper into this darkness, are there resources you have, directions, you know, organizations, books, just places you can point people so they can uh, even better understand how fucking awful everything is? <laughs> okay, so um, I would definitely recommend uh, going to... Uh, I use United Steelworkers as a proxy because they're basically kind of the best at it. But Mm -hmm. just start Googling international unions and going through their blogs and their updates and their press releases because they'll tell you where people are getting disappeared. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. uh, And go, um, uh, oddly enough, the New York Times reports on it on occasion. It's just no one reads it. Nice change of pace. (laughs) Yeah, it's just no one reads it or there'll be like some rabble rousers. You know. <laughs> yeah yeah some of these darn dissidents uh... um it's the the information is is harder to find than you would think though um i i would look up uh supply chain logistics uh and labor uh i actually have a google search uh a google result we call it the google thing where you put in the the um for morning deliveries you get a every news article mm. that involve those words um and just like start really interacting with international unions. Um, cool. And it's, it's good times overall. Yeah. 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 Uh, some light morning reading, you know, uh, sip your coffee. No problems there. No issues in the supply chain. <laughs> with your coffee. And catch up on the, the international labor news. Uh, Grim, the other thing uh, we want to know is where can people find you? What are you up to? What would you like uh, our listeners to know that you were doing? So I'm a M-U-G-R-I-M-M, like Grimm's Fairy Tales, on uh, Twitter. And right Grimm now I'm doing the FDRV Biden project, yes. which is tracking, so his, good. It's tracking his first 100 days in office. And I'm, I'm having to start breaking it up into chunks. Um, the good news is in about a week, I'm not going to have to do that because uh, Biden will effectively be done with everything he's capable of getting done in his term. There we go. Um, <laughs> just because, I mean, just the nature of everything now is a budget bill followed by you know, dead air. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just mm-hmm. modern American politics, but I'm tracking him and FDR's uh, first hundred days side by side to compare um, who did better on any particular day or block of days. Mm. And it's fun. I'm, I'm sourcing the original articles and I'm using the New York times archive. Um, and, yeah, there's uh, like real research that goes into this. You know, I, I I was so upset when we got someone really intelligent on the podcast again. Yeah. What what's going on with these people that know things? I hate it. <laughs> we should eat more chicken sandwiches. Yes. <laughs> I'm not that intelligent. I just am bored and have weird interests. That project is wonderful. Definitely. Yeah, and you have you a Patreon up. for that, right? I do have a Patreon for it, and that you're helping me pay for my New York Times subscription, basically. And I'm oh, launching yeah. the podcast with uh, um, with Brett from uh, Dumb and Awful and uh we are uh, yeah it's it's good times and uh we're coordinating that we want to launch it um pretty soon here um so uh yeah it's good times 
Well, we'll include the link to your Patreon and your Twitter for sure in the episode description. And when Help Grim continue to break his brain. Yes, and whenever <laughs> yeah. your podcast comes out, you'll either have to come back or give us a link, and we'll make sure to put that for sure. Yeah, you guys can come on mine. Shit. Oh, hell perfect. yeah. We love that. All right. We don't know things, though. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, don't expect any research, but we'll happily show up. <laughs> the name is I already chosen. Up- <laughs> yeah. there you go. I'm happy to show up and ask questions. The the name uh and this might shock you based on the tone of the uh the whole interview, but the name is called The Greatest Depression. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> wait, wait, we're talking about my my years in college? <laughs> Ayo. Um, All right. Well, if we don't have anything else to say, Grim, let me just th- extend a thank you. This was wonderful. One of my favorite episodes we've yeah, done. Really I-, I learned. That was crazy. Um, for last time, I'm going to do that this year. Mm. My name is Zachary Allard. You can find me at Twitter at Zachary underscore Allard. Michael Tabor. You can find me at Michael Tabor. And Grim, you can find me at, at M-E-G-R-I-M-M. Join a nun. Nunnery. <laughs> yeah. See ya.